Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. My name is Craig Fields. And I'm David Long. And you're listening to week 21 of the film review podcast, Is It Worth It? Where we go out of our way to see almost all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you don't have to. It's a packed show this week, starting with our box office rundown. We'll have news and DVD, DVD. But David, film-wise, what have we got coming up on this week's show? This week we'll be taking a look at A Star Is Born. This is starring Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. It's also the directorial debut from Bradley Cooper. As well as this, we'll be taking a look at A Simple Favour. Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick take to the screen in this rather enigmatic movie. As well as those, we'll be taking a look at The House with a Clock in Its Walls, starring Jack Black and Kate Blanchett. This chimes its way into Week 21 with a considerable amount of ticking going on with this film. As well as this, we'll be taking a look at The Wife. This is starring Glenn Close, Jonathan Price, and Christian Slater. Uh, Craig will also be sharing his thoughts on the intent to the come up. Uh, then we'll both let you know what we thought of The Little Stranger, which stars Donald, Donald Gleason, Ruth Wilson and Will Poulter. And finally, we'll be reviewing Skate Kitchen and The Rider, two very interesting films. So, David, uh, let's kickstart today's show with some correspondence, emails, tweets, messages, whatever we've got. Uh, What have we got? We've got an email from Paul, and Mm -hmm. Paul writes, Dear Kravid, I was listening recently to your review of The Nun and how it was set within the universe of The Conjuring. I'm very much not a viewer of horror films, so I haven't seen it, but it did get me thinking about the sheer number of films and franchises that are set within the same universe as another. Obviously, Star Wars, Marvel, Fantastic Beasts and the recent Oceans reboot come to mind. My questions are as follows. In your opinion, why are so many studios opting for this approach? What separates a movie that is set in the same universe as another to a mere sequel prequel? I have my own thoughts on this, but I'd be interested in getting yours. Of the films you have seen, which individual film do you think is the best at being its own film whilst being nicely set within a wider audience? I look forward to your response. I enjoy the show. Peace and love, Paul Newbegin. Um, so, David, I've, should we start off with uh, question number one? So, um, in your opinion, why are there so many studios opting for this approach? Uh, well, unfortunately, I think it simply boils down to money. Mm. Um, I think, for example, if you look at um, The Conjuring, um, very, very successful at the box office and, and a very good film. And what films like to do, really, and unfortunately, is suck off the success of other films. So if you can place a film like The Nun into the Conjuring universe, um, and they did it, you might say cleverly, but fairly, you know, cheekily, you know, taking a a particular clip from The Conjuring and then doing a whole spin-off. But it's basically 
to 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 make money if if you know if 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 you if you see a trailer the nun from the con- from the directors that brought you the conjuring from the conjuring universe it pulls people in yeah absolutely i i completely agree with you number one ma- the main reason studios opt for this is to make more money however it's also the audience's um viewing pleasure almost mm. so i there was no- there's nothing better than going to a marvel film uh, so the Marvel Cinematic Universe and seeing snippets and hints and tips and hints and stuff from from the other films. So, you know, they kickstarted this off with Iron Man 1 and, you know, there's post credit scenes that link to the next film. You know, having that connection with all the other films really, really work. Um, so and then that, in essence, brings more money. Mm. So it's a clever way of making more money at the end of the mm. day. Um so what separates a movie that is set in the same universe as another as to a mere prequel or sequel? Um, we discussed this the other day. We did. And I thought you hit the nail on the head, actually. What was it that I said again? I can't remember. Um, it was to do with the basically intertwining connection of all the films. So mm. we, we touched a little bit upon um, the Pixar movies and how uh, fundamentally yes. they're all in the same universe. If you look at Toy Story, Finding Nemo, there's little hints at other um, Pixar films and Monsters, Inc. Yeah, so essentially they're just basically very subtle Easter eggs that are planted within the films that that weave the stories together. And there is a very clever article. If you search on Google for um, Disney Pixar films, there's something that links them all together and it's almost like one big continuous story mm. um if you find I'll, I'll see if i can find that article and i'll put it in the description of the podcast it's a very interesting read and um and done very very cleverly and some of them maybe are not intentional but i have a feeling that it is all intentional and somebody found all the connections and it's brilliant and for example um so we saw denzel washington do his first ever a sequel recently hmm. and that is and that was a, a a literal sequel it just follows on from the first film what would make that become a universe would be then if one of the other characters had a spin-off film yes so that wouldn't be a sequel it would be a completely separate film but linked in with the same same story and like we said more and more people are trying to do this because if you have a very successful film then why not have a spin-off, you know? And 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 we've seen that from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Yeah, and that's you know? so that's a really good example of of uh, J.K. Rowling making a a prequel to to the Harry Potter universe, mm. but also letting it be a, a standalone series almost. Mm. Um, so obviously, you go back in time to when uh, before Voldemort was even about, and mm. you've got. Dumbledore and as a young professor in the yeah, next Fantastic yeah. Beasts film, um, and people want to see that. Mm. They're giving you, giving the audience what they want to mm. see, and and at the same time, they know it's going to make more money. Yeah, um, obviously, Fantastic Beasts being a, a Harry Potter spinoff, it's already got you know a huge uh, potential audience. Mm. Uh, on that point, it's a slight, slightly uh, off off track. I want to see more Harry Potter films. Um, I really do. I mean, J.K. Rowling said she's not going to write any more books. Um, perhaps that's true. And then, I mean, can you make more films without there being more books? I just think that compared to the quality of the acting in the first films, Emma Watson, um, Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grint have all come on so far. And I genuinely think there is room for, for more from, from, from them. So particularly sequels. As, as, yeah, yeah. So, but they've already sort of done that with the stage plays. Yes, I know. But I would like to see... Maybe I'd that like made to, into a movie. Yeah. yeah. 
um, I know it's a slightly off point, but no, I, no, it's you know, true. I, it's still I just, part of the universe, yeah. though, isn't it? At the end of the day, um, me and my brother had a Harry Potter marathon actually um, last winter, and it was fantastic. We did all seven or eight films. I can't remember how many there are because the last one's well, in seven, two. Seven books, so there's yeah eight, eight films. films. So the last one's in yeah. two. Loved it back to back. What I wish they would do actually is for convenience is take all of the films, take away the introduction and the. Uh, end credits and just let them follow and, on. and just and merge them edit them together to one long film <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that, that would be quite spectacular um, there is another film that I'd actually like to mention um, we will touch upon this on next, next week's show but it's it's Venom so Venom yes. Venom, Venom so this this is a Marvel property film in, in mm. the sense that it's something that they have created in the comic books but because it's owned by Sony they have wanted to commercialise, and they've, they've always wanted to commercialise on, on the Marvel Cinematic Universe by taking characters that they still own and, and trying to make films. So they tried to do that with The Amazing Spider-Man after their first Spider-Man films finished after mm. Spider-Man 3. Um, and that was, a, that was a big flop. That yep. really didn't do very well. However, I liked Andrew Garfield in the role. Um, and then now they've tried, they're trying again with, um, with Venom and... Um, it it's not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm. and I would it, it, they sh- what they should have done, like they've done with Spider Man, is give them back that character. Let Marvel do a lot of the legwork, come up with yeah. the stories, integrate it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then make the money back on it by yeah. letting them do a really good job and and and, ha- and wanting people to go and see that character again. After seeing the Venom film, I'm not going to reveal whether I liked it or not, but it would have worked better being part mm. of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that's all I'm going to say on that. So I, I haven't seen it, Craig has, but we will be bringing you a review of that on next week's show. And in terms of uh, Paul's last questions, of the films you have seen, which individual film do you think is best at being at being its own film whilst um, nicely set within a wider universe? I'm going to answer that very simply with a film we saw recently with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, as a standalone film, I really, really enjoyed it. I liked how it was a more traditional superhero film, uh, a little bit more lighthearted. I thought Paul Rudd was was brilliant. There was some great comedy. And also, the way it was cleverly slotted in, um, with, you know, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but the way it was cleverly slotted in with the recent uh, Marvel Avengers film, uh, I thought it was just really, really good. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on that, Craig, are, in terms of a... I know you're a big fan of, um, as, a, as standalone films, Iron Man. I think you're... Yeah, well, the the first one that you know started it off, and that yeah. that is by far my favorite, my favorite Marvel film. I think um, apart from that, maybe Captain America, mm. um, the first Avenger. I thought that was really really good, and actually that that whether they come up with some more Captain films is another question. But I think we'll reveal that in in the news this week actually, because there's a bit of news. Yes, there is. Forward. There is. I've seen you've that. Got that. Yeah. yeah. No, I haven't got that, but okay. I have. I have read that. Um, but yeah, no, Paul. Thank you very much for that email. It's very interesting. And thank and you, darling. I I I haven't actually thought of a of a film that's uh, an individual film that's set within a different universe. I haven't actually thought about it properly. But I will come back to you on that one because there is a film in the on the tip of my tongue, but I just can't get the title out and I wouldn't want to make a fool of myself so <laughs> don't we do that every week <laughs> and yeah we do that but yeah cheers Paul thanks for the email um, I hope that answers your questions um, so Paul you're going to have two tickets coming your way remember mm. listeners it's as simple as that email us at mymailisworthit at gmail.com and you could bag yourself two tickets to any Cineworld in the UK uh, you can use it on any film including IMAX 
and they'll be valid for redemption within six months of when we issue it to you. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's a, a great offer from us, but um, but also we love to hear from you. We love reading your emails out, so thanks very much, Paul. And I believe now we are going to head over to our box office rundown. This is the box office rundown. Brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Yes, that's right. It's the box office rundown for the weekend of September the 28th to the 30th, 2018. David, would you like to kick us off at the bottom of the box office? Yes, I will. At number 10, we have the fantastic Incredibles 2. It took another 200,000 at the weekend uh, and it has grossed a total of 54. 55- 5.5 million uh, and it's been in the box office for 12 weeks and I say this every week it's a fantastic film if you haven't seen it go and see it in at number nine we have Christopher Robin that's taken 300,000 pounds at the weekend it grossed 14.1 million pounds and it's been in the box office for seven weeks uh, I think you liked this more than I did um, it mm. took you two attempts to to like it um a bit more, get yourself into it a bit more. I, I actually only saw it once, so it might have been worth me seeing it again, just maybe so I could be on the same level as you, but mm. um, my thoughts remain I the same. I went in with, with very high expectations. First time they weren't met. Second time I enjoyed it more. The main problem with this film is Christopher Robin's character. There are a number of times in the film where he's actually quite unlikable, mm. uh, and that makes it hard to, to get as emotionally sucked in um, as I would like to have been. But uh, Tim Cummings as Winnie the Pooh is adorable. Fantastic voice and a beautiful bear, sort of real bear with maybe a bit of CGI. I still haven't worked out what they did. Some sort of puppetry CGI. <laughs> puppetry CGI, who knows? Um, but yeah, um, more of a film for adults than kids, I would say. Um, but overall, yeah, uh, I think it deserves its place in at number nine. Above that, at eight, we have The Little Stranger. We're going to be reviewing that this week. It took £300,000 at the weekend, um, and it has grossed £300,000 as well. Um, and it's been in the box office for two weeks. Indeed. Uh, in at number seven, we have The Predator. That's taken £300,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £4.5 million and has been in the box office for three weeks. Uh, we both thought this was a complete mess of a film. An entertaining mess, mm. nonetheless. Um, but uh, just, not, just not a Predator film, really. No, and I'm, I, I understand why it's in at number seven now. It was right at the top last week. Mm. Um, people have seen it. People don't like it. Word of mouth have got around that people yeah. don't like it and it's slowly on its way out now. There are good bits, there are some laughs, but as our overall Predator film, it is a bit of a shambles. Uh, in at number six, we have Mile 22. Um, this hasn't received great reviews from critics or audiences, actually. Um, I quite unlike, I quite enjoyed this film. Uh, I thought it was uh, quite different. Uh, I like Mark Wahlberg's character. Um, it's taken £800,000 at the weekend. Um, and that's its total grossing as well, I believe. Um, and it's been in the box office for two weeks. Yeah, I, I didn't enjoy this film as much as you did at all. Didn't like Mark, Mark Wahlberg in this film at all either. Um, yeah, it wasn't for me at all. Uh, in at number five, we have a simple favour. We'll be reviewing that on this week's show. It's taken £1 million at the box office this weekend. It's grossed £3.4 million and it's been in the box office for two weeks. Um, looking forward to reviewing this one, actually. Mm. 
Above that, at number four, we have The Nun. Uh, this took a million pound at the weekend. It's grossed 9.5 million altogether. It's been in the box office for four weeks uh, and it's done very, very well. It's done well on the back of the other films, though, hasn't it's it? It's done well on the back of the other films, um, which is exactly what Paul's email was talking about, because it's The Nun from The Conjuring Universe. Mm. Everyone's like, oh, we've got to go and see it. And it was ridiculous at times. <laughs> um, I mean, completely ludicrous. Effective at other times, but f- frustrating. I'm sick and tired of horror films being made for the sake of it. I want good horror films. I want original horror films. That's why I liked Hereditary. That's why I liked A Quiet right, Place. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Uh, in At number three, we have King of Thieves. This has taken £1.1 million at the weekend. It's grossed £3.7 million, uh, And it's been in the box office for three weeks. So it hasn't done particularly well. I mean, it did quite well at the weekend by taking a million pounds. Um, but it's it's not a great film. Um, we discussed it at length on mm. uh, on week nineteen, maybe week twenty. I can't quite remember. I think it was week nineteen. Yeah, I mean, wasn't I, it? I've spoken to a few um, a few friends about this, uh, friends that are older than me, and they seem to enjoy it actually, um, which which surprises me. I just think as a heist film, it's incredibly slow. Mm. You know, it's just you know, I, I sound a bit like a hypocrite because I say oh, I hate action for the sake of action, but. In a heist film, I think you do need a little bit of action. Yeah. Um, and it just felt very slow. And also the use of language, so much swearing. And I just don't think that was required. It, it was always on a downward trajectory um, when the characters along the way became more and more and more less likable. Yeah. Um, and you ended up not rooting for a single character going mm. forward. And by the end of the film, um, you had no allegiance to anybody. And, yeah. and you're supposed to walk out of a film you know, with some allegiance maybe to somebody, mm. some emotional connection, some food for thought, and you didn't have that in, in this film yeah, at all. Yeah, I mean, if, if they'd have made the characters unlikable, um, on you know, really unlikable on purpose, and then had some sort of intriguing police detectives who were trying to catch them, but the the police detectives were extras, you know. They, 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 they weren't in the film, were they, really? They, they just came in at yeah. the end, and they were very wooden, and, you know... When you see the poster, what a cast, what a fantastic cast, and I just think a waste of talent. I think that film mm. had so much potential and it didn't meet it. Um, enough of that. Number two, we have Crazy Rich Aliens. I mean, Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> um, it took another 1.1 million over the weekend. Uh, it's grossed 3.6 million uh, and is in the box office for the third week. Yeah. It, I don't know why I've written it like that. Yeah. But, and it is in its third week of release. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, as, as rom-coms go, this was one of the better ones. Mm. Um, we've seen a number of, of rom-coms um, throughout this experience. And this had a really different ending that, you know, a really powerful, emotionally impactful ending. And, and this is why it's standing up in the box mm. office. It's doing very, very well. And I, I'm not sure it will stay at number two for much longer I think it's going to be on its way out fairly soon but. yeah do do take a listen to our full review um, I think it is a very sort of refreshing rom-com very traditional rom-com in many ways just too long it was too long that's the only thing that let this film down in the middle it, it was it was too long and mm. I think that's a real shame because I really started to lose interest but yeah. the ending is so brilliant that you've got, you know, it's it's like a sandwich with a slightly disappointing middle, but disappointing filling, disappointing filling. But the bread, oh, sensational! <laughs> you know, the, the bread <laughs> like was a sourdough. Oh, it was marvelous. You know, you know, 
Hovis, best of both. I'm enjoying this analogy. It's making um, me hungry. Yeah, it, no, brilliant beginning, brilliant end. The, the filling was slightly disappointing, but I mean, filling, like, the filling's supposed to be the best bit. Though. Yeah, I know, but honestly, I've never had bread like this. <laughs> it was, well, it was some of the better rye bread I've ever had in my life. Anyway, enough number bread one. analogies. Uh, number one, we have a film that Craig and I will be reviewing next week. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but. I'm going to say Craig looks slightly disappointed to yeah. see it at number one. It's it's Night School. Um, it's taken £1.6 million at the weekend. It's grossed £2 million overall. And it's been in the box office uh, just for one week. So it's done it's done rather well. That overall gross, I think, is done on previews as well. Um, yeah, I mean, we're not really going to talk about this film at all. We, we, we'll talk about it next week. Um, send us your thoughts on this film mm. if you've already seen it, because it'd be great to get your your thoughts on it and see if they uh, they match up with mine. Yeah, so I haven't seen it yet. I will see it before reviewing uh, it on next week's show, obviously. But like Craig said, please do email us, and you very well may win two free tickets. Indeed. Uh, David, if you'd like to do the box office rundown from 10 to 1, please. Indeed. At number 10, we have The Incredibles 2. Nine is Christopher Robin. Eight is The Little Stranger. Seven, The Predator. At six, we have Mile 22. At number five, A Simple Favour. At four, it's The Nun. Three, we have King of Thieves. At two, it's Crazy Rich Asians. And at the top of the pile, we have Night School. Uh, so our first review on this week's show is A Star Is Born. Um, there's been multiple films of the same name, uh, starting in 1937, 1954, 1976, and now 2018. So this is the fourth incarnation of this movie. It's it's one of those films where a generation has their own version. Um, for me, I I went in with this uh, film not knowing any of it, didn't know any any of the story whatsoever. Um, however. There have been other versions where people already know the outcome of the film. Uh, we're going to try and do a non-spoiler review, um, as we always try to do. Um, but it goes without saying that this is a star is born. This this is it's the same as the other films in 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 essence, mm-hmm. uh, a, a very similar plot line. So if you already know the ending of the other films, you know what's going to happen in 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 this film. Um, the difference here is that we have Bradley Cooper. He plays Jackson Maine. He's a highly successful musician. Uh, he sells out countless amounts of shows, uh, but he suffers with a drink and drug addiction. Uh, it's after one of these shows that Jackson ends up going to a bar where he meets uh, Lady Gaga's character, who is called Ali, uh, and she's singing live at this bar. And she's singing this fantastic version of La Vie en Rose, and it's here where our two main protagonists meet. Um, Jackson sees something in Ali. Uh, they end up spending some time together in a car park. And this is where this great instant connection appears. Uh, let's take a listen to this clip. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Is that me? That's you. You just write that now? Yeah. 
pretty good. I started writing this song the other day. Maybe that could work, like as a chorus or something. I'm off the deep end. Watch as I dive in. I never meet the ground. Crash through the surface where they can't hurt us. We're far from the shallow now. Can I tell you a secret? Don't worry, I won't tell anybody. But I'm not very good at keeping secrets. <laughs> so at this point, their paths have now crossed. Um, and it's clear that one is on this downward trajectory and the other is on the rise. Um, and the film does this really brilliant job of convincing you that Bradley Cooper is Jackson Maine, this country and Western rock star, and that Lady Gaga is actually Ali, this this woman who writes songs but doesn't want to share them because she's afraid of what other people will think. Um, she truly believe you truly believe that she is this woman that people have told cannot be anything because of the way she looks, um, and you really do invest in these two characters that couldn't be more opposite in real life. Um, obviously, Jackson Maine, Bradley Cooper isn't a real rock star in real life and Lady Gaga is and you're so convinced that these people are the other way around it's just fantastic mm. really really fantastic performances from from them both um what did you think on that um so I went into this film with fairly high expectations actually because I saw the trailer and the mm. trailer was very very short but the trailer stood out because I was blown away by the music in the trailer I was blown away by Bradley Cooper even even in very short clips but I think he's a, a phenomenal actor he's actually becoming one of my favourite actors uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is my favourite actor but Bradley Cooper is 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 very close to taking that top spot with his performance in this the uh, um, American Sniper and also um, Silver Linings Playbook and in that trailer my expectations were high you know and I went in with high expectations and it was better than, than what I thought this is a fantastic film and it's a fantastic yep. film on so many different levels the script is brilliant um the music is brilliant like i'm looking forward to the album coming out because i will listen to the it, album it came out yesterday it came out yesterday yep ah okay uh, <laughs> i knew one song shallow had, had come out but now i know that it's out but what what i really love about this film craig is it's so honest and so raw and so unafraid to speak the truth and make a piece of film that is hard hitting and and ambitious. And, you know, like I said, Bradley Cooper is a phenomenal actor. You know, I think that's uh, become evident in the fact that I think he's had two, if not three Oscar nominations in about the last five years. Um, but how on earth does Lady Gaga manage not only to match up to Cooper, but in some ways almost go past him mm. with with her acting her acting is phenomenal so we we know she can sing um you know that's that she's had an incredibly successful music career 
And actually, her mainstream stuff, I, I, I think, is some of her worst stuff. If you look at when she sings acoustic stuff or piano stuff, she's got an incredible voice. But her acting is incredible. Her facial expressions, the emotion she brings. Uh, there's a scene where tears run down her face. It, it, it's, ju it's just superb. And the story is hard-hitting and compelling. Um, and it made me think of The Greatest Showman. I, I had a bit of a rant about The Greatest Showman when yeah. I left... Um, the screening of this because the greatest showman is everything in my opinion that film shouldn't be although in some ways it is entertaining and in some ways the music was quite good catchy yeah it, it took a story and completely polluted it and changed it for the for the purpose of film so it took a, a story about a, a man who who ran a circus and fundamentally exploited people and made it into this happy clappy sort of uplifting film whereas what Bradley Cooper does here in his directorial debut is take a well-known story and like you I didn't know the story so my word, it hits you with a punch. And he just makes it raw and relevant and real. And from a personal perspective, there's a lot of themes um, in this film that uh, are quite personal to me and, and I can relate to a lot. And also there's a particular scene that was quite harrowing for me because of something that's happened within my family. But I, I just adored this film. You know, last year... Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri was what I wanted to win Best Picture. I saw it three times. Let me tell you, I'm going to see... I've seen this once. I'm going to see it at least another two or three times because I think it is absolutely superb. Yeah, I, I completely agree with... And I'm you sorry to go on everything, so, so everything much about it, but said. I cannot tell you how brilliant this film yeah. is. And I mean, for a directorial debut from, from Bradley Cooper, it's it's absolutely a, a masterpiece. Mm. Like The way uh, the camera works... Um, by being so intimate in that opening shots, so you've never ever been in a film where you are on the stage with mm. that character and taking in the crowds. And it's, it's amazing because um, I think you were going to mention this, but I'll mention it. No CGI. These are yep. real audiences, real crowds. Um, they went to um, Glastonbury uh, last year um, and filmed an eight minute slot. Mm. Um, and they have eight minutes. And this is this is uh, a scene, I think it's the scene with Lady Gaga mm. in it um, that they shot there. They did one at Coachella as well. Mm. Um, and they have to be really quick. And it shows, A, that Bradley Cooper can sing and yeah. does it, does an amazing, matches Lady Gaga. And he learned to singing. play the guitar. He had extensive vocal training. Oh, what a and man. and what directing a, what a, what a film machine. and directing a film whilst being <laughs> yeah, in yeah. the film as well. Yeah, on another another level, you, you, you know, you did say that there's a lot of levels of this of this film, but it's so meta as well. Mm. But not like I mentioned before, Lady Gaga is a world renowned singer songwriter. Mm. In this film, she starts off as somebody who isn't a world renowned person, and you believe mm. that that's not her. And Bradley Cooper isn't a singer-songwriter in real life. He's an actor. But you go into this film at the beginning believing that he is Jackson Maine and, mm. and it's just so meta. I, I love and that. I, I, I know we've, we've spoke a little bit about the music and actually you've got some of them already more popular or well-known songs, some of the sort of slower ballads, but it's really the rock song um, that Bradley Cooper himself wrote mm. that's at the start of the film that I love. There's this brilliant bass to it. And it really sort of builds this 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 atmosphere, and like I said, there's a live audience. And and I mean, look at um, the Greatest Showman. All CGI, all of it, all the audiences. I mean, like all, terribly CGI. This was real. And what 
better way to show the power of music and how it can change lives, both for the artist and for the audience, than actually filming it live. And it that brilliant bass and the way it builds, and then you've got the slower ballads. And also, we haven't mentioned this, how funny was this film at times? Yeah, there, there were some laughs as well. I mean... S- subtle laughs, yeah, but 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 really well placed. You know, um, um, some brilliant comedy from Lady Gaga and from Bradley Cooper, um, and a lot of the comedy comes from one of the bars where Lady Gaga sings. And that version of La Vie, uh, I'm not really good at French, La Vie en Rose, La Vie en Rose, La Vie en Rose, yeah. uh, Bonjour, um, <laughs> is is captivating. It's breathtaking, isn't it? Um, and there's the, is the, the, the moment in that bar where she she's laying down yeah. on the bar and turns her head to look at him and you feel that stare. Mm. You feel what he feels in the film. And then it goes into that car park scene as well. And I found myself really believing that these two people were falling in love and that mm. they'd, they'd really met each other. The thing is about this film, if you don't believe that... yeah. Going into the later latter ends of the film, if you don't believe the fact that these two people love each other and they 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 are wanting to help each other in certain ways, then the film might fall apart in, in suspending your belief in that. But but mm. I believed it, and because I believed it, I I loved the film. I hundred mm. percent. This is this is the one for our era. Um, yeah. I I would like to look back at some of the other films, especially the Barbra Streisand one. Well, I have good news for you. It is on Netflix. Ah, fantastic. Um, Netflix aren't stupid. They've just put it on there. The Barbra Streisand version is on Netflix. And I'm so pleased that I didn't see that one first because if you ha- if you don't know this story, it is an emotional roller coaster. Um, we have discussed a little bit about the Oscars and we will touch upon that as they approach. But at the moment, this is the favourite to win Best Picture. Um, I'm also looking forward to, as you know, First Man. But I'd, let me tell you, Craig, First Man is going to have to be a seriously good film um, to, to knock this off because... Was that Siri? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Siri's Somewhere. getting involved. Um, th- this is simply fantastic. Uh, I know. Are we going to do the question now or are we going to get onto some tweets? Uh, let's let's read some tweets. I cool. think. Um, would you like to read that out from the gaming bear? Our yes, favorite, our, our favorite bear. My well, there are many bears, but this one is my favorite. Um, the gaming bear uh, tweeted us on September the twenty seventh and said the missus was in bits. I welled up a bit as well. Great film. Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga turn in great performances. Um, one thing I would like to hear your guys' opinion on uh, discuss on the podcast is your thoughts on people leaving as soon as the credits start. Um, he does continue. There's a little bit more there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe how many people just literally upped and left. Um, I always like to sit down and absorb what I've just watched, uh, unless it's rubbish. Um, with an ending like that, I was somewhat shell-shocked. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to sit in the screens and, and absorb what I've just seen. Mm. Um, I mean, what was the film that we saw um, a couple of weeks ago that we just sat in the cinema absorbing and nobody nobody stood up? It was based on the Ian McEwan novel. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the film. <laughs> Neither can I. Um, but yeah, at the end of that film, people just didn't move. Now, when I go and see this again, I'm going to literally sit there until the lights come on and all the trailers are finished. The first time I saw this, I actually got up quite quickly and left and I know the gaming bear says he's not sure why people do that I did that because I actually wanted to get out of the cinema did you feel a bit claustrophobic not 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 so much claustrophobic but I wanted to get out of the cinema and actually be on my own and sort of process what I'd just seen Mm. like I was quite emotionally hit by this film 
You know, like I said, I didn't know the story. Um, but when I go back and watch it again, I want to sit there and really take in that music because they have music throughout the trailers. Um, I th- <laughs> did that last week as well. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Right. I'm so obsessed with trailers. It, it, was that, <laughs> it was that trailer for the house with a clock in its wall. It was so long, <laughs> so long. But no, the gaming bear makes a good point, you know. And also I think there's this strange obsession with English people. As much as we like queuing... We also like evacuating very quickly. <laughs> it's like we all we all are incapable of of leaving at a leisurely pace. It's like the film's finished. I must rush to my car. Get to, and, get to the car. Get, get to home. the car and speed home so I get home five minutes early. Why? You know, um, mm. it's a very British thing to queue and queue respectively. But once the film's gone, you know, it's it's a rat race. Mm. Um, I, I have to say this was. Quite a big film for Cineworld to put on as an unlimited screening as well. Um, they even had security telling people to turn their phones off when they go in because mm. they didn't want people filming or recording or disturbing the the, the sequence or the, the film. Um, they, you know, it was going on alongside the premiere, which was taking mm. place in Leicester Square at Cineworld um, as well, and. And it was a, a brilliant unlimited screening to have, mm. and that was the fifth one that we had in that month as well. Yeah. Um, um, wicked service. J- just on that point about uh, screenings, when it was shown at um, one of the film festivals, and forgive me, I can't remember which one, there was an eight-minute standing ovation. Yeah, that was at TIFF, so that was the yep. international... Um, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Toronto International Film, film Festival. Film, yes, there, we, there go. we go. That's um, it. You know, and uh, eight minutes, is that it? Deserves more. <laughs> I mean, uh, and and also just just on the point of Lady Gaga. So um, we will be looking at uh, the wife a little bit later in the show, and Glenn Close is is heavily uh, tipped up and 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 favourite to win um, uh, an Oscar for Best Actress, and Lady Gaga is also in the running. And I just want to say that if Anne Hathaway wins an Oscar for her performance in Les Miserables, which was superb, but it was quite literally one song. You know, if you want to see how to win an Oscar in four minutes, watch um, Anne Hathaway sing I Dreamed a Dream. Mm. If Anne Hathaway wins an Oscar for Les Mis, then I tell you this now. Lady Gaga wins three because she is just fantastic. Singing, dancing, acting, brilliant film, brilliant direction, um, quite possibly the best film I've seen since doing this podcast. It's up there with three billboards. I saw that three times. So it's it's definitely up there. It's, it's just superb. It's, yeah, it's definitely up there for me as well. And it's, um, you know, I, I called this before, mm. before you even, you know, you, you were saying first man all the way. I was yeah. like, no, look at this film. Have you watched Trek? No, I haven't seen it. I said, look at this film. Yeah. So I'm Craig, telling you, I'm Craig, telling you. I am eating a bit of humble pie. Is, is that the way it works? Do I eat the pie or do you eat it? Um, you eat the humble pie. I mean, we can share the pie. If you okay, want. we'll share the pie. But Craig is right. So I've I've got slightly obsessed with Damien Chazelle's First Man, which I still think looks stunning, and I can't wait to see. But I mean, this was so so good. Um, I could I could honestly talk about this film for hours. No, we haven't even this, answered the question. Yet. <laughs> this is the kind of film that you could write a doctorate about, a thesis, ten thousand um, word essay. You, I could write an essay about the the meaning of the title of the film. You know, and A Star is Born. It, it, it's just fantastic. Craig, mm. I think, to save our listeners from hearing me talk about how much I love this film, you should ask me the question. David, A Star is Born, is it worth it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. This is a fantastic film. Um, this is 
100% worth it. I encourage people to see this. It's mm-hmm. it's a love story. It's a, a musical masterpiece. It's it, Bradley Cooper, take a bow, my friend. Brilliant direction, brilliant acting. Lady Gaga, superb. Can't wait to see it again. And uh, Bradley, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show to interview you uh, yes. for this film. Um, we know that a lot of uh, a lot of people listen to this podcast. So if, if, <laughs> so if, uh, if you're listening, it'd be great to, to get you on the show. It, and, and Lady Gaga as well. Um, oh no, we don't want Lady Lady Gaga. That's just taking it a step too far, isn't it? You, did, have, did you just say you don't want Lady Gaga <laughs> on the podcast? Well, we can't have Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Why not? I, I feel like we'd be propelled into a complete stardom by having two <laughs> fantastic people on the show. True. Uh, but if either Lady Gaga or Bradley Cooper are listening, you are both very welcome. Do ignore Craig. You're listening to Is It Worth It, the Film Review Podcast. Both Craig and David are Cineworld Unlimited cardholders. For just £17.90 a month, see any film, anytime, as many times as you like. Enjoy 10% off snacks and drinks, exclusive preview screenings of upcoming releases, and unlimited customers can now enjoy 25% off food and drink at Café Rouge, Bella Italia, Las Iguanas, La Tasca, and Belga. The Oscars are fastly approaching and there's no better time to become unlimited. With films like First Man, Star Is Born, Venom and Aquaman, now is a good time to join. And you can get £10 off your first month subscription. Just use the code ISITSWORTHIT. That's all one word. So our next review is A Simple Favour. This is directed by Paul Feig. And we have Anna Kendrick, who plays Stephanie. She's a single mum who throws herself into everything and anything. She's one of those mums, a super mum. She volunteers for everything at the school. Um, There there are signs that I think that she's quite a lonely person. Um, And that she does this, this strange vlog as well where she shows other mums how to do various things from baking to making friendship based bracelets um, and then on the other hand we have Blake Lively's character who is uh, Emily uh, she's the polar opposite of of Stephanie she's enigmatic she's this martini loving PR exec for a fashion firm um, and after their sons befriend each other at school um, the two mums somewhat end up becoming pals um they're, they're they're very different from each other, but it works. They, the opposites attract. Um, so uh, Emily asks uh, Stephanie to look after her child, which is the simple favour. Um, and uh, when Emily doesn't return to pick up her child, um, uh, things start to go a bit weird. Um, we've, <laughs> we've got a clip here of um, uh, Stephanie talking to uh, Henry Golding's character, which is Emily's husband, about uh, Emily. Let's have a listen to that. She is an enigma, my wife. That's what drew me to her. It can also make her impossible. She can be so fiercely private. She sure doesn't like having her picture taken, I'll tell you that. I remember this one time she shut down my Facebook because I posted up a family picture. Oh, social media is so tricky. You can get close to her, but you can never quite reach her. She's like a beautiful ghost never entirely there that's so poetic you know that's why you're such a good writer i'm not a writer anymore stephanie i gave all that up just to chase this woman for the rest of my life so after emily goes missing stephanie does her best to try and use her powers on the vlog to to try and locate emily um she's clearly worried um so (sighs) 
what is this film? It starts off a, some as a comedy mm. uh, and transitions into a thriller, a, a bit of a rom-com, a, a, a murder mystery. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the tone constantly shifts throughout the film. It wrong-foots us on every single turn. And I don't, personally, I don't think that was good. It it didn't hold up well for me on, in this film. Um, it it felt like a bit of a mess to me. What did you think? Yeah, I, I know what you're saying there. Um, I, I wouldn't describe this film as a mess. Um, I think it's slightly better than that. I, w- I would describe it as confused. Um, so I, I think the two lead performances... Um, from Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick are are brilliant, and you know there's some there are some moments in this film that are very very funny. There's also some moments where it is quite on the edge of seat, quite tense. But the way that it moves from one genre to another so dramatically and so suddenly just doesn't feel right. Mm. Um, and the whole experience is 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 just that confusing. You're not sure exactly what the film is. Is it a comedy? Is it a thriller? Is it a murdery, a mur- murdery, <laughs> a, a murdery mystery? Is it a murder mystery? It's it's just confused, not a mess in the sense that it's a total disaster. Mm. And actually, it's it's been quite well received. Rotten Tomatoes, seventy nine percent of the audience like it, eighty five percent of the critics like it, but the fifteen percent of the critics who don't like it hate it mm. um you know they say the exact same things it's it's it, you know it, it's it's a case of it's i think someone said it's like gilmore girls meets um what did someone put they put it's gilmore girls meets law and order you know it's yeah. it, it's like a really sort of bizarre mix and it, it, it just and for me that's why it doesn't work so if we're gonna get sucked into this story this missing person thriller then you can have comedy, but the, the very plot, the very premise has to be believable. And some of it is just so totally ridiculous that it takes away from that thriller element. And then some of the comedy is so misplaced, particularly near the end. Um, so they've built all this tension and, and they've got you on the edge of your seat. And then it's just completely diffused with almost farcical slapstick. Mm. And, and that's unfortunate. And And... And like I said, you know, there are good bits in this film. There are funny bits. But as you put the whole thing together, for me, it just makes a a bit of an uncomfortable viewing experience. You come out a little bit confused. And, you know, I I don't think the script's bad. I don't think that the acting's bad. I just think as an overall film, is this something that I would recommend to people? Well, personally, probably not. But it's a film that some people will like and I know a lot of our listeners who have tweeted us some some really did enjoy it quite a lot yeah I mean <clears throat> films that change genre halfway through the one in particular that comes to mind to me that I remember seeing when I was actually quite young was uh, from dusk till dawn I don't know if you've seen that film but George Clooney uh, and Quentin Tarantino directed and starred in this film yes and it, it start it starts off as a bit of a strange action is that the one with the drama film the like the vampires and yeah and yeah, then and the monsters and then they get to a place and they end up it turns into a vampire film and that worked strangely and it's it's it it was a straight it was a strange strange film but really worked for me this is constantly shifting between these lots of different mm. genres and what really didn't work for me was the passage of time so the way that they First of all, she goes missing and lots of things happen during that time that she goes missing that didn't feel like it happened over a certain period of time. It mm. felt like it happened very quickly and and shouldn't have happened at that speed. Things like uh, Anna Kendrick character um, 
becoming uh, entwined with uh, with Emily's husband. These things felt like they moved too quickly too and quickly. and and mm. didn't suspend my belief and therefore I felt disconnected with the entire film. Um is that something that you felt during the film at all or yeah, was it I, just me? There's definitely a problem with the time period in this film. Like you said I'm not 100% sure how long the film was set over how how that worked together. It was confusing. It just almost seemed to be like one long day. Um yeah. if if that makes sense. And and yeah, like you said, some of the things seemed very forced, and they didn't seem right. So uh, Anna Kendrick's character, like you said, see, gets in some um, sort of I don't know if you describe it as a well, yeah, it is a relationship with with other uh, people in within the film, and that doesn't feel quite right. And it's it, like I said, I wouldn't describe it as a mess, but I do think it's confused, um, which is a shame because there there is there is potential here, um, but for me, I just think overall it's it's not a great film no it, the, certain elements work on their own um, combining them together makes it feel to me personally a bit of a mess um, but the, what saves it is is the performances from Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively um, they didn't I don't think they had a, a great deal to work with but that what they did work with they, they relished and, and mm. that really comes across on screen um, so f- for me um, I don't think this film is, is worth it David uh, a simple favour is it worth it for you? Personally I agree I, I, I oh, it's a tough one no I'm going to say it's not worth it um, f- for the very simple fact that it is quite a confused film having said that if you do go and see it it's it's not a bad film. It's not a bad film. No. It's a confused film. So it's not an absolute shocker. But for me, uh, with some of the other things that are in cinemas at the moment, it's not something that I would go out of my way to recommend you see. I'm not, I'm not putting you off seeing it, but I wouldn't recommend it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So that was our review of A Simple Favour. So next up, we have The House with a Clock in Its Walls. This is uh, directed by Eli Roth, uh, starring Jack Black and Kate Blanchett. So after the death of his parents, Lewis arrives in an unfamiliar town in Michigan to live with his uncle, Jonathan, um, who's played by Jack Black. It becomes clear that Jonathan isn't an ordinary man. No, he's a, a, a warlock. No, it's Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> or a wizard. Or is he a male witch, as Lewis calls him? Mm. Um, Lewis relishes to learn as much as he can from his uncle, uh, but a dark secret uh, lies within the walls of his uncle's home. Can he help find the clock before it's too late? Let's take a listen to a clip. Alchemist of old, turn this dross lead into gold! Wow. That was really, really... Terrible. I mean, just awful. Hey. You're reading it like it's a Buick manual. It's not what you say, Lewis. It's how you say it. You're the only you in the whole universe. That makes your style of magic just crazy unique. One in a hundred million kajillion. So I can give you the right books, teach you the right spells, but that last one percent, that's up to you. So... How do I find my magic style or whatever it is? It's in there somewhere. You just have to quiet down and listen. So, essentially this film has Jack Black 
playing himself. And, and whilst <laughs> he is an endearing person um, and somebody that I, I do quite enjoy uh, listening to his music and watching him in certain films, and can, and he can be brilliant in, in, in certain films, <coughs> I didn't like him so much in this film. I mean, he was well suited for the role, but it was lots, there's lots of Jack Black isms or mm. uh, and mannerisms that come out in this film that just shows that he's playing himself on the counterpoint uh Kate Blanchett is is fantastic I thought she really suited the role within this film I, f- I thought she was brilliant um and then we have the, the young boy um who's played by Owen Vaccaro um he's fantastic I, I believe it's the first film that he's done um and I thought he was really on point um so I did enjoy the film um, there was lots of laughs within it, um, some dark moments as well, perhaps slightly too dark for some children. And we have discussed this at great length. In depth. Um, so it's a 12A uh, and it's up to the parents' uh, discretion whether or not they want to take their children to see this film if they're under 12 years old. Mm. David, you you believe that um, it shouldn't be for children under the age of 12? Well, no, I, I think it's got a 12A rating because I think if you're under 12, um, it's got scenes and themes that are unsuitable for, for children under the, the age of 12. And if you're a, a 10 or 11-year-old, I think it's appropriate to go with your parents. Um, I'm I'm somewhat shocked. I was very shocked, in fact, that when the film started and the certificate rating came up because from the trailer, it looks like quite a light-hearted sort of um, kids' film. And actually, once you realise it's a 12A and then once you watch the film, you realise that it's actually a lot darker than that. It's directed by Eli Roth, um, who directed the the the, uh, the Hostel film. Uh, and you can see that sort of quite dark and sinister element come out a number of times in this film. Um, and, that, and that's what really struck me most about this wasn't the fact that Jack Black played himself because he, he usually does and like you say he does he does that well um it's just sometimes is it appropriate to cast him in 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 certain films was mm. he the right choice um for this character um i mean that's that's a personal uh, decision but um Kate Blanchett was superb um i thought the young uh, the young lad as well was was absolutely brilliant but the thing that struck me most about this film was just how dark some of it was and i mean dark in terms of its themes but also some of its content some of the scenes have some quite sort of scary mannequins and puppets and you know that sort of stuff that you see in horror films when you go down it's got like the little monkey with the tambourines that that kind of yeah. dark, quite sinister, a little bit like the saw doll on the bike. And and genuinely, some of the bits in this were really quite scary, I thought. Um, surprisingly so. And I'm just surprised it's a 12A because I, me and Craig have argued, and I mean in depth over this, I think if they'd have slight, if slightly edited it and made it a PG, I think it, I think it would have or will do better at the box office. I just think the problem with having a children's film, because that's what it is, as a 12A, is you're saying, well, kids can't see it unless they're with their parents. And if the parents won't take it, they can't go. Mm. So I think they've shot themselves in the foot there a little bit. I think a good way of looking at this is that if you've seen Goosebumps, um, this this is something that's somewhat on par with, with Goosebumps in terms of themes and, and like you said, the mannequins and, and all those sorts of things. And if your child has seen that already and is younger than 12, then I think it's probably more, more than appropriate mm. to take your child. Now, maybe if, it's, if there's a six-year-old that you think that <laughs> might, you might want to take to go and see no this. No chance. 
if they are a mature six-year-old and have seen films that might be similar to this, it might be appropriate. But it really does depend on on your your child and what mm. they can handle and what kind of maturity level they are. Um, and if you think they can handle uh, uh, thing, themes that are within this film. I personally would take my child if if they were maybe six or seven. If they have seen goosebumps or they had seen something and weren't you know mortified by what they saw <laughs> but it's, it's a real trial and error and it, it is re- you as a parent i'm guessing you know your child better than anybody yeah. and you will know if they can handle that film if you took your child to see the meg and they were younger than 12 and they were fine perfectly fine but with it's different that. though because that's gore that's bloody violence this is you know this is dark magic this is it touches upon demons, you know. Yeah. There's some dark stuff in this, Craig. Well, I mean, Harry Potter is quite dark. Yeah, but this is this is darker than Harry Potter. There's an innocence to Harry Potter. Yeah, well, and, there's and, an innocence and I, to this film as well. And I'm pleased you mentioned Harry Potter because you know you look at the the, the early Harry Potter, that lovely jingle, and the you know the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, Hagrid waving on the train station. But at the end, it's pretty dark stuff. Oh, oh yeah, completely. You know, and they're and they're rated PG. For me, I mean, me and Craig have argued extensively about this. I would say. Um, 10 and 11 year olds with with an adult can see this film under 10 not a chance would i be taking a child under 10 to see this film personally um i i, I just i just think it's um not only in visually what you see but in terms of subject matter I, I don't think it's suitable for for people um i don't think it's suitable for people under 12 unless they're with an adult but i would say 10's the cutoff point but that's the great thing about 12 A's. It's up to you as uh, adults and as parents um, or carers or gardeners or whatever to to decide. Um, we've had enough discussion about that. In terms of the film itself, um, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, the, the trailer was long. Mm. Um, and so was the film, actually. Um, maybe a little bit too long, but... I was I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, yeah. I was I was going in expecting this to be an absolute turkey, um, and it wasn't. The, yeah, expecting the trumpet to be played. Yeah, well, not necessarily the trumpet, but I, <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting it to be very good, and it was mm. better than I expected. Yeah, um, it was more scary than funny, in my opinion. Um, and this and this is why it's weird because some of the humor it had like poop humor, so it had like a, a lion, a hedge. Uh, cut into the shape of a lion that that farts and leaves come out now to me that isn't funny but i'm not a child so for someone under 12 yeah that'll be very very funny but then you know half an hour later you've got demons and you know a, a dead man walking around you know it it, it it's it's frustrating. You have I've... to wonder how much um, a child will take in of that of that nature because of the way that they portray it on the screen. They didn't portray it in such a way that it's as dark as what you're saying, if you know what I mean. Mm. They portray it in a in a way that's almost comical, almost. And you know, it, it, if you take it as as what we're saying as words that this is a this is dark or that you know this is a dead person walking around. But if you until you actually see it yeah. and and you see it in the context of the film, it's not. It's not as bad. I, I personally don't. I mm. don't think. Um, but there is something lacking from this film that I've I felt throughout, and and I'm not quite sure what it was. And it might have been the way that it it was paced out and the build up to certain elements, and and then how the how it ended as well. 
I can't quite put my finger on it. A quite but... dramatic and dark plot when you when you actually think about what the yeah, the yeah. heart of the film is. Um, but like I said, you know, it was it was more scary than funny and uh, scarier than in parts. I think than Insidious: The Last Key, which I <laughs> well, thought yeah, was actually, yeah, terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, Jack Black brings that humour. It's just maybe a little bit too much. I mean, Kate Blanchett is a superb uh, actress and she's brilliantly cast. Uh, in this role, and the and the young lad is is great as well. Look, this is a film that is perfect for emails. You know, if you if you go and take um, your children, email us. Let us know who you think's right. Is Craig right? Can a five six year old go and see this? Am I right in saying that I think it's right to be a twelve a? And anyone under ten, I wouldn't even consider taking them. You know, that's what this podcast is about. Yeah, but I don't think it's whether we're right or wrong. I think it's more. It's I think you have to look at it in the context of your child and oh, whether oh, they think it's suitable. Of course, of course, but that's what I'm saying. But, I want people but, to get yeah, in touch. Yeah, it'd be great to know what if you if you have taken your child to see this film and they're younger and whether and how they dealt with the film and yeah. whether or not you know they were able to understand these. Dark ho- hopefully, themes. next week we get. Dear David, I've just taken my seven-year-old daughter to see this film and she tells you to man up. You know, she absolutely <laughs> loved it. It that, wasn't scary at all. What the hell's wrong with you? Um, so yeah, I think we've covered most of the points there. Um, I'm going to ask you the question, Craig. Go for it. Uh, the house with many clocks in its walls. Is that what it's called? Uh, the house with a clock in its walls. Oh, the house with a clock in its wall. Something it, like that. Uh, <laughs> is it worth it? <laughs> uh, yes, I think it's better than some of the films that are out in the cinema at the moment. Uh, and for children, yes. Um, I think it's a it's a great film to take, you, take your kids to. Um, uh, d- discussion obviously what we've already discussed yeah. about younger children but I think um, it's a good film to go and see yeah for me as well I think uh, I think it's a film worth seeing I think the target audience is 12 to 15 year olds I think if you're in that age bracket it's perfect um, if you're under 12 and you desperately want to see this film then hassle your parents and get them to take you and then email us and let us know what you thought the email address to contact us is my mail is worth it at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram as well. Uh, we'll read messages from wherever they come from, whatever direction. We're, we're happy to receive them. And like Paul, you may receive two free tickets. Indeed. To the cinema. And that's the end of that review. Let's swiftly move on to the wife. Welcome back. Uh, It's now time to have a look at The Wife. Um, So what is The Wife about? Well, The Wife is a story of marriage through good times and bad. Um, And when novelist Joe Castleman, played by Jonathan Price, is awarded with the Nobel Prize, things seem like they couldn't be better. This life-changing award, however, causes Joan, uh, who's superbly played by Glenn Close, to reassess her long-term marriage. You know, things aren't quite as good as they seem, and a budding biographer is keen to expose some of the couple's darker secrets. Now, before we head into our review, we're going to take a listen uh, to a clip, and I think this clip perfectly shows the tension uh, and the strain that is on um, our protagonist's marriage. So have a little listen to this clip. Johnny, is that you? Yeah. Where have you been? I've been worried sick about you. Why? It's only 4.30. Yeah, but look how dark it is already. Don't do this to me. Don't disappear on me like this. I didn't disappear. I went out for a couple of hours. What have you been doing all day? I walked around, went into a couple of stores, looked in a couple of shops. How did the rehearsal go? Sorry, you've been smoking? 
I can smell it. I went into a cafe and it was filled with smoke. Ugh. You've been drinking too? Yeah, I had a vodka. In the middle of the day? Yes, Joe, in the middle of the day. You know, Johnny, you can't be doing this. You can't be showing up at functions with alcohol on your breath. You are the star of the big show, so why would anyone possibly care? What the hell has gotten into you? I don't like to be lectured to. I'm not a child. <laughs> oh, God damn it, Joe. Are, are you going to stop throwing your clothes all over the floor? I am so sick and tired yeah, of picking it up after you. What's that? Uh, I got hungry. I bought some walnuts. Let me see it. Hmm? It's just a walnut. Can I see it? What are you talking about? Can Give I see it? Give it to me. It? What are you doing? Give it to me. Don't be ridiculous. Give it, it to me. <laughs> so, while I was out being a drunken lush, you were seducing the luscious Linnea? Nothing happened. Oh, don't you dare insult my intelligence. Don't you dare. I think that's a fantastic clip, and it quite shortly shows um, the the problems in, in this marriage. And, you know, I think the, the first thing to say about this film, before we get on to whether it's worth it, is that it is superbly acted um by both um Jonathan Price and particularly Glenn Close. Uh now Glenn Close uh her career spans four decades and I was doing a little bit of research and she's had six Oscar nominations and she has never won an Oscar. Um I'm almost certain there will be a seventh Oscar nomination and quite pe- potentially her first um statue. Um She's superb in this film. Um, if, if anything stands out from it, it is her. And if you look at a lot of the um, the critical reviews of the film, they're saying it's a very solid, you know, average drama that excels because of the performance of, Gang, of Glenn Close. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that's the, you know, the thing that really stands out about this film. The film is based on the novel of the same name written by Meg uh, Wallitzer. Um, and it's a powerhouse performance from from both of our leads, um, and it, and it, it is a really enjoyable film in my opinion. Uh, the thing that stands out for me is the the film moves at a very steady but satisfying pace. It's sort of a very slow incline, mm. um, and you can't help but be captivated by these lead performances. And it, it just slowly and comfortably increases in pace. Uh, and and I just got really sucked in. But as you know, and yeah. as our listeners know, I love a, a, a character drama and I love a real gritty drama. And that's what we get here. And I think the director gives us a brilliant taste of the 90s as well. You know, scenes where we see smoking inside and the dress and the cars. And also uh, quite an emotional and beautiful shot of the Concorde in flight. Now, I can't work out how that was done. I imagine it was CGI. Um, or stock footage or stock or footage yeah. but it is absolutely um, brilliant and it's got a, a really very very simple plot you know uh, John Joe Castleman wins a, a, a Nobel Prize and we basically see him go and pick it up yeah. but beneath all of this there is a marriage that is so broken built on lies and uh, deceit and, yeah, and, and, and there's just so many layers to this film it's like an onion yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, so many layers. <laughs> a Shrek metaphor there. <laughs> but what I really loved was was the acting from Glenn Close and, and, and the layers of um, facial expressions that you get throughout the film. Now, 
I want to see this film again because on reflection, uh, when I think about the performance from the beginning of the film, it really actually shows you things that are happening near to the end of the film as well. But you don't take that in, not until the end of the film, that you realise that these facial expressions mean so much more. Mm. And that and that is what a brilliant performance is all about. And I really would like her to win an Oscar for this, but I think Lady Gaga might just pinch this. Mm. Um, but it is superb. I mean, I, I can't stress enough just how brilliant the acting in this film is. I, I really love the flashbacks within the film as well. Mm. Um, I, I there, There's a lot to like about it in this I film. I do like the flashbacks. The, the problem with the flashbacks for me, and this isn't a criticism of the actors who are playing the younger versions of uh, Joe Castleman and Joan, for me, it was like, I just want to get back to to them now because they were that captivating. So I did enjoy the flashbacks. I think they could have been a little bit shorter simply because I wanted more of Glenn Close. Um, but like you said, you know, the flashbacks did work because um, it gave us a, a history and, and, a, and a context and, and it slowly unraveled more and mm. more secrets. Um, you know, it's it's a film that... Without the two lead performances, you really wouldn't have a lot. Like I said, it's an author that that wins a, um, a Nobel Prize and picks it up. And obviously, there's a there's a lot more to it than that in terms of what's happened in the past. Mm, but substance, it, yeah. substance. But if if you know, with with lead actors not giving a performance of this quality, you would you would really struggle to get into this film. Yeah. Um, Christian Slater as well, I think his character really helps to move the film along and he yeah. and and it's the intellectual quality of his performance as well mm. and, and the and the way that you really believe that he's done his research here and he's really looked into what's been going on and has sussed everything out. Mm. And the way that he reveals that to to, to Joan in in the film. And really helps move the plot along and helps move the film along and and that's a, a, a really good performance as well and i i'd be surprised if he wasn't nominated for like a, a supporting actor award actually yeah I, I wouldn't surprise me um a number of reviews that i've read describe him as sort of uh, uh an intriguing and charming performance yeah, yeah um it is a very good performance it's it's a it's a powerhouse um film in terms of acting uh, it won't be everyone's cup of tea though because you know, if if this kind of film isn't for you in the sense that it is quite simply, a, there, you know, a, a drama, um, it it may not be something that you, you'll enjoy. Um, the audience that we were in there with was of, of a certain age. Um, I think we were probably some of the youngest people in there. Yeah. Um, but overall, for me, um, a fantastic um, example of, of superb acting and how important acting is to a film because you can have a film that has a brilliant plot a brilliant script a brilliant director but if your actors are hopeless then you've not really got anything at all in terms of best actress you know who am i rooting for no doubt lady gaga i've just said about you know 20 minutes ago deserves three oscars but glenn close six nominations no wins you know if either of them were to pick it up i, I would be pleased um, and Glenn Close is 72 now. I couldn't believe that. You know, it might be no. her last chance of picking up an Oscar. 
Um, but it is a sensational performance and a performance that merits the question, Craig, the wife, is it worth it? Yes, I I loved watching this film in the cinema and, and watching everything unfold on the screen. It's a definitely a, a very character driven film. Um, so it may, as you say, it may not be for some people who love going to the cinema to see action, explosions, the surround sound engulfing you in, in a movie. But I still believe that this is is true cinema. Mm. Cinema of a nature that is, is as I said, character driven and 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 has leading, wonderful, brilliant performances, mm. and that's what I like to see on the screen. All I will say is, if the story doesn't blow you away, the acting will, and therefore, I too believe it's worth it. Yes, it's that time again where we take a look at the news within the cinema world. And uh, I'm going to kickstart off the news by saying that Chris Evans has hinted that his Captain America days are over after rapping on Avengers 4 after tweeting. Uh, the tweet said he's officially rapped on Avengers 4. It was an emotional day, to say the least. Playing this role over the last eight years has been an honour to everyone in front of the camera and behind the camera and in the audience Thank you for the memories, eternally grateful. And that, I think, is quite definitive, really. I think that yep. that really does prove that something is going to what, happen what, what, in what, Avengers 4. What was the headline? Rumours. Uh, well, it just says that Chris Evans has hinted. I don't think he hinted. I, I, <laughs> I, think, I think he's uh, pretty much, said pretty much it. stated, hasn't he? It's, um, a, it's almost official that uh, Chris Evans isn't coming back after Avengers 4. Um, something must serious must take place in Avengers 4. I have my uh, my theories, but I'm going to reveal those theories a bit later on in the year, maybe next year when uh, we get closer to, to Avengers 4 after Captain Marvel, I think. Yeah. yeah, so my first bit of news as one actor um, finishes a role, another one begins a new role, and I'm looking at um, Taron Egerton, or Egerton uh, who has been cast to play Elton John in Rocket Man. Um, the film is due to come out in 2019, around uh, May, June time. Uh, and I've seen a few photos of um, Egerton as uh, Elton John, and, and it looks it looks really interesting. Have you seen? Did you watch? Have you watched the trailer yet? Or no, anything? I haven't so even seen the trailer. I've watched the teaser that's been out, and uh, I'm slightly worried about this film. I'm slightly worried about the singing element, and and obviously you can't match. Elton John's no. voice uh, completely, but I am worried that it's going to disappoint. Yeah, no, uh, I'm I'm not commenting whether I think whether I'm expecting good things. I'm just saying I think it's interesting to see uh, an Elton, Elton John biopic. Mm. It, I mean, a phenomenal musician and a man that's created so many classics. I am surprised that we haven't seen a portrayal of him on the big screen as of yet. Mm. So that's my first bit of news. I, well, I just wanted to follow it up with Bohemian Rhapsody. I think this could be a, a good one to follow in terms of, well, if this if Bohemian Rhapsody does well, Elton John biopic could do phenomenally well as well. But it depends, really, doesn't it? So yeah. I'm just I'm hoping for a good Elton John fan, uh, film as I am a big fan. So Okay, so I have two more pieces of news to bring you, um, one of which is Bad Boys 3 uh, may... Uh, be starting filming in early 2019. It's all rumoured based. Um, I don't think anything is set in stone yet. Um, but obviously, uh, after the success of the first two Bad Boys films, um, 
Fans of the films uh, have been asking for a third for quite some time and they may have their wish granted and filming may well begin in early 2019. Uh, And finally, um, we were talking earlier about the Conjuring universe, about what makes a universe a universe and prequels and sequels. Well, the Conjuring 3 has found a new director. Uh, James Wan has stepped aside and Craig is grinning next to me because just as I was about to read the details, my iPad died and the article has crashed. But nonetheless, I can tell you that James Wan will not be directing The Conjuring 3. Uh, There is going to be a Conjuring 3, um, and I'm not looking forward to seeing it. And in other news, a man has stopped his motor vehicle, gotten out, and resuscitated successfully a squirrel using CPR. And that was the news brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. So, moving swiftly on, we'll be taking a look at the intent to the come-up. Uh, I say we. Actually, it's only uh, it's only me. You've been unwell again for... Well, yeah, about three, four weeks ago, I took the mick out of Craig for having a cough and a cold and told him to man up. I then got said cough and cold and still haven't been able to get rid of it. And I um, was a little unwell on the evening of this viewing and didn't go and see this film, but I may have done myself a favour. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's find out, shall we? Let's, uh, let's crack on. Um, I'd like to admit, first of all, that I haven't seen uh, the first film uh, um, uh, within the intent universe, shall oh, we God. say? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the reason for that is because of this. Yes. There we go. Um, I hadn't heard of the, uh, the first film. The trumpet is out. Yes. Let's turn that off. Let's turn that (laughs) trumpet off and crack straight on. So, um, yeah, I I did not enjoy this film. I'll just crack straight into that point. Um, Hence why the trumpet. Hence why the trumpet is out. Um, So the first film, uh, uh, this is a prequel to the first film. There we go. Get my words out there. Um, And it centers on Jay, who has big dreams, but his ambitions are crippled by his allegiance to both his crew and a hackney crime boss, Beverly. Uh, Jay sets about laying the foundations for his own organised crime ring uh, with the help of Mustafa, who is part of a Turkish gri- uh, crime syndicate, not a grime syndicate, because that would be <laughs> incredibly weird. Um, so things aren't going well uh, until... or things are going well until Beverly discovers his disloyalty, and it's uh, an ill-fated robbery in London... Um, and a trip to Jamaica that seems to tear the crew apart. All the while, their actions are being monitored by an undercover Metropolitan Police officer whose name is called Guns. Yes, his name is Guns, um, and he's been deployed to to integrate himself into the crew. So, I mean, that synopsis, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a bad film, but you you have a lot sounds, of... Sounds interesting, It Craig. sounds... It, it does, and when you take it apart and you pick it apart. First of all, the acting is absolutely terrible within this film. Oh. I think it's a real shambles. There's, it's, it's. I mean, there was more drama in the actual cinema screen. Um, screen <laughs> I heard about this. That, that happened that I believed and invested my time more in than I did in this, in this film. Um, there was a lady who was constantly on her phone talking throughout the film and a gentleman piped up and said, you know, 
get off your phone, stop talking. And she went mad. She was shouting and swearing at him, threatening, threatening him. Um, and turn, you know, and everyone in the cinema was turning around. And <laughs> and and so there was more drama in this screen, um, in this screening of this film than there was actually on the actual screen. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a real difficult one to review because you you had elements of it being a north london or this, this london gang um they they it felt like they were playing the characters were playing versions of themselves because the acting was so wooden and mm. and the way they, they got the words out it felt like a gcse performance that was mm. really well shot um <laughs> no seriously honestly it really did feel like that um, the plot was just all over the place, going from one thing to another. I mean, one minute they're in London, the next minute they're being sent to Jamaica. Jamaica was actually a, a rather good part of the film. Um, and we do have a clip that I'd like to play you from from uh, a, a part when they're in they're in Jamaica. And I thought this was probably the best part of the film, maybe the best scene of the film. Anyway, let's have a listen to this clip. You see the team that I had last night? Mm-hmm. Mm. She was doing some pillow talking still. Mm. It turns out they're on me, and your team Peaches are doing a little thing still. I don't know if you knew about that, but... Well, you see Romy and Peaches? Them favorite idiot. Huh? Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm going to handle both of them for you. You see, if Romy... And Peach is not dead by six o'clock in the morning. You are dead by seven. Cheers. So, in essence, David, I feel like this film felt like a modern day gangster film but had no real acting qualifications going on in this film. But I, there was a few nice performances, but some of the other performances diminished that performance. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. It brought the entire film down. Um, I mean, the opening to the film was actually maybe the best part. I did say yeah. this clip was the best part when they're in Jamaica, but actually thinking about it, the beginning of the film is when they're all children and they're upstairs at this party whilst the mums and dads are all mm. partying away in this sort of Jamaican sort of music going on and they're playing computer games and, and one of the kids who you see later on in the film pulls out a gun on one of the other children and it was it was that was quite hard hitting and mm. maybe felt it it felt like kid adulthood. Yeah. You've seen kid adulthood, haven't you? No. Oh, you haven't seen Kid Adulthood? Okay. Well, Kid Adulthood is exactly what this film needed to be like more. And that beginning part of the film felt like Kid Adulthood. And I, th- I actually thought, okay, <clears throat> this could be quite good from then. And then it was just all downhill from after that. Having not seen the film, is it a film that glamorises gun culture and gang culture or is it a film that yes. condemns it yes so it it, it glamorizes gun culture it glamorizes being in a gang it glamorizes um going to prison so mm. there was a, a, a mass there was a big portion of the or a, a portion of the film where they're actually in jail mm. and this felt real at one well, at certain with certain elements but with other elements it really felt like it it 
it didn't suspend my belief at all. Mm. It, it just felt like this is this is all a cliche. Ha- and then and then the pace change, and all of a sudden they've been let out of jail and back to doing what they were doing before. And it, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, ha- having yeah. not seen it and and having listened to your review, I probably won't see it. But I think that's a real shame, particularly if you look at London, the the, the statistics at the moment with knife crime in London and the huge problem with gang culture in London. I don't think we need films that are glamorising that. Um, and and this sounds like it, it, it is glamorising that. It, it, it's got some confused direction and uh, um, some poor acting performances. And I'll, I'll be honest, you haven't really sold it to me. Um, I, I, and I also, can't I, sell it to I, anybody. I, 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 can, I can see you sitting there almost struggling to say it because... I just want to say this from a personal perspective. We don't like sitting on this show and saying this, you know, this is a terrible film and th- these actors are hopeless. But sometimes it needs to be said. And this sounds like a, 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 a great example of a film that has plot premise, but it has just been executed in a terrible way. Yeah. So I, f- I feel like the story started off, you know, they're brainstorming. They've come up with an idea. This is the idea. Great idea. Then it comes to scripting this idea and the script is all over the place. Mm. It's it's just not recognisable to to me in, in life. It's not recognisable to other people. It glamorises everything that's that's going on in this culture at the minute. Instead of instead of you know, it just dehumanizes a lot mm. of elements that go on in life. And I I just did not I just really couldn't get to grips with it. And yeah. I and I just feel like as a drama it doesn't work. There's supposed to be some humour in it, but it just doesn't yeah. work. A few people in the cinema laughed at a, f- a few moments, but I just felt myself. <laughs> I, I, I must, I must confess. I remember being in bed, resting up, and Craig getting out of the cinema, and I just my phone going ping, 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 and I was thinking either he's just seen a masterpiece or something mm. terrible, and it was just terrible film. Oh, what a shame! You're so lucky you didn't see it. Oh, there was a, there was a brawl in the cinema. Um, it sounds like a bit of a mess on screen. It sounds like a bit of a mess. In the screen. So I'm going to ask you the question, Craig, was this film worth it? No, it, it was definitely not worth it and a complete waste of my time, really. And I think <laughs> it'll be a complete waste of everybody else's time to go to see it as well. Um, if you if you have thoughts on this film and you've seen it and you actually liked it, I'd like to know your reasons why you liked it, number one. Number two, um, is... If you've seen the first film as well, and you've gone into the scene, gone gone to see the cinema, gone to the cinema to see this prequel, does it stand up against it? So, I'm interested to know those mm. things. I'm not going to watch the the first film because <laughs> I, if it's anything like this, it's just going to be outrageous, and and I just can't be bothered. There's so many more films out there that I have I want to watch, and and I'd rather not waste my time on this. So, yeah, no, don't go and see it. Send us an email, mymailisworthit at gmail.com about this film and uh, we'll, we'll maybe take the conversation further on the next, on the next episode if you've got some, some good points. So there you have it, folks. The Intent 2, the come up, reviewed by Craig Fields. Not worth it.
so it's now time for another review and we will be looking at The Little Stranger. Now, The Little Stranger is a dark and gothic tale that really is as much about class as it is about ghosts. Uh, the film's main character is Dr. Faraday, who is quite splendidly portrayed by Domhnall Gleeson. Uh, and what happens is Faraday returns to his hometown to practice medicine uh, and is called to the once famous but now crumbling Hundreds Hall to examine a housemaid, Betty, who is apparently experiencing some sort of ghostly goings-on. Um, it is, however, the badly burnt and disfigured war veteran Re uh, Roderick, uh, played by Porter, and his sister, Caroline, um, portrayed by Wilson, that catch his attention. Um, as the film unfolds, we learn more not only about the historic... Um, Hundreds Hall, uh, but also the family that inhabits it. And perhaps most surprisingly, we learn a lot about Dr. Faraday's lifelong fascination with this once beautiful estate. Uh, I believe Craig has sourced us a clip, so let's take a little listen to that and then we shall go straight into our review. Oh, Doctor. Welcome. Forgive me, I rang, but... Afraid I've been pinning the house back together. So I see. My darling brother's still in Lidcote, arguing with the builder about the land, so... I do hope they're not drinking to seal the deal. Now, speaking of which, help yourself. If there are any glasses left. Pay no attention. And I think you look very smart, Betty. Oh, I should warn you. The acoustics in this room are uncanny. Every word carries. You, Miss Ayers, look beautiful. Hasn't touched a drop yet, Chip. Walk me too, would you? Mr. and Mrs. Rossiter and Miss Dabney. My dear. How are you? Perhaps you know our Dr. Faraday. Good evening. Oh, I, I hope no one's unwell. Oh, no. The doctor is a guest. Ah, one of us. <laughs> I think that's a really good clip because I'm going to say something quite strange here. Hmm. I think it shows everything that's good about the film and also everything that's bad about the film in one clip. And what do I mean okay. by that? I mean that we see the splendid acting of uh, Domhnall Gleeson and uh, Ruth Wilson, but we also see the characters that they're portraying, very stiff upper-lipped, very quintessentially British. And whilst they brilliantly portray those characters, as an audience, it's difficult to get really emotionally invested into those characters because they are so wooden. And they're wooden on purpose, and they're brilliantly portrayed and brilliantly acted but to get an emotional connection with them is difficult and I think that's where this film um, struggles a bit um, it f has a feel of something that would work better as a sort of 10 part BBC drama much longer and slower so we can get more character development um, and it's also a film that's completely different to what I was expecting. You know, you, you watch the trailer to this film, and I believe you were telling me that in America it, it was pitched as a horror film. Well, it, I don't think it was pitched. I think it was more presented within the trailers that this is more of a ghost film. Yeah. And people were going in expecting a ghost film. However, this is not a ghost film. No, it's more of a period drama 
um, that is about class and what class was 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 and is still like in many ways in British society. And that clip really does yeah. highlight that. You know, and we do see Hundreds Hall um, that was this once beautiful estate um, and the film quite fantastically gives us flashbacks um, to Dr. Faraday when he was younger and actually a guest at Hundreds Hall. And also in that clip, we hear um, Caroline's mother welcoming guests to Hundreds Hall. And it's a quite sad scene, you know, these very smart upper class Brits coming into a really dated manor house mm. and and it's a really small gathering so there's about 10 of them you know but to the to the mother this is the biggest show in town you know and she's everything is superb and actually it just feels a little bit sad you know and um it's it's a film that is quite slow it's not something that's you know jump out of your seat scary but it has a very eerie feel to it. Um, and again, like, you know, almost the same as The Wife. I think it's the acting that really holds the the film together. I think Donald Gleeson is brilliant. Um, Ruth Wilson's also fantastic. Um, she's in um, a Sky Atlantic series called The Affair, um, which if you haven't seen, I would highly recommend. And also Will Poulter, who plays this horrifically burnt, um, war vet and his his performance is fantastic he's not actually in the film that much compared to the other two characters but when he is he's really brilliant and not i mean i'm not only talking about his face which has obviously had a lot of um work done to it with uh, prosthetics prosthetics yeah, and yeah. makeup etc i'm talking about his his voice and his movements and his limp and <clears throat> you know Honestly, I really think that if the film had focused more on his character, this would be a sort of, not an award-winning performance, but I think a, a performance that would get people talking because I thought he was really, really superb. Yeah, I, the physicality of his character, the way he moved, the way he talked, uh, the, the way you really did see inside of his, his torment yeah, um, really absolutely. was portrayed fantastically well. Um, and and his relationship with Domino Gleeson's character as well, with, with Dr. Faraday, and I, I, I felt that, you know, at one moment they are acquainted with each other, they, you know, he's trying to help one another out. Um, but the class gets in the way of this and, and, you know, the drama elements within this film, I think, were superb. Yeah. Getting back onto the ghostly parts of this mm. film, however, it it's it's nowhere near what you will be expecting in no. terms of, of of ghostly apparitions and and whatnot. It's so much more of a psychological, yeah. ambiguous uh, uh, drama in, and in that quite terms. Dark as well. And Some of the themes are dark, very and, dark, and um, the ending is quite powerful. And you know, um, the, the interesting thing about this is watching it. It, it you could watch this film and then you could you could create a trailer and pitch it as a horror because there are those elements but actually it's it's not really a ghost story at all it's no. a, it's a, it's a drama it's about class um and you know to go back to um Will Portal's performance as Roderick I just think it's great you know th this poor bloke that's been horrifically disfigured in war and now is the man of the house and the house that he's the man of is is falling apart 
and they don't know what to do. The house is their very identity. And th this is a film, it's a film that is perfect for film studies. It's a film that's perfect for people like me and Craig to go and watch and discuss over a, 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 a warm cup of um, bovril. Um, <laughs> bovril? <laughs> um, you know, but for the regular cinema goer, I think this is a film you're going to go and watch and and not really enjoy that much. And um, it takes a lot of work. You you need to. It doesn't give the game away at all. No. You have to investigate with your own intellectual abilities to to unfold the truths of what this film is portraying on the screen. And I like that. Mm. That's a proper film to me. Yeah. I don't like being uh, uh, force fed information just so that certain audience members can get what's going on and this doesn't do that and that that is why i really love this film and i yeah i really love it and i really love i love the ending as well and i liked how the ambiguity of it you know you have to think about it and think actually yes that makes sense mm -hmm. because of what he said at this point in the film so if you're not paying attention to yeah. certain points of the film you won't get the ending unless you you know, discuss it with somebody. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, I didn't realise Craig liked this film quite as much as he's letting on, but it, if, you, if you want to go to the cinema and see a, a ghost film, a horror film, this isn't, this isn't for you really. Um, and if you want to go after a long day at work to chill out and relax, maybe this isn't the film for you. But if, if you are a film lover and you want to see something gritty and you want to see something that has powerful performances and you want to see something that requires... Um, you know, a bit of extra thinking, a bit of extra yeah. thinking and, and attention, <clears throat> then, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting piece. Um, and it's, 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 it's a difficult one to review in that sense, because it's, again, it's not something that I would necessarily recommend to everyone. Um, but for the cert, for a certain cinema goer, I think you'll, you'll get a lot of satisfaction out of this film, mm. which is, <clears throat> difficult for us. Cause we are letting you know whether it's worth going to mm. see in the cinema. So, to a, yeah, like you say, to a certain audience, this is worth going to see. For uh, for the audience that like, as we've said in the previous reviews of this show, if you like to go and see action films and that films that surround you with the surround sound, this might not, this probably no. won't be for you. But if you want to go and see a really great cinematic film, uh, one that you have to use your brain to to mm. understand what's going on. This is a film to go and see. And mm. I mean, even if you don't see it in the cinema, I'd recommend watching it at home um, just simply because I think the story is great. The plot's great. I think I, the acting's fantastic. There's a lot to like about this film. Mm. I agree. Do you, Would you recommend it in, in terms of the certain audience as well? Or would you just say everybody go and see it? Or, you know, even if you're not a fan of these sort of films, Go and see it and see what you think. You know, do you know what I mean? This is the longest version of the question no, ever. Yeah, it is. I know it what is, you're saying. But, um, but if you want to ask me the question, I shall answer all those points. Uh, David, The Little Stranger, is it worth it? Um, yes, I, I do think this is worth seeing. Uh, I think there's some brilliant acting. I think it's got an intriguing story. Um, I think it's got... Um, it perfectly depicts uh, the class struggle in the time period. Um, that said, you know... Don't go in expecting a ghost story. It's not a ghost story. And don't go in expecting, you know, um, machine guns and oozes and, you know, uh, wild car chases. Well, if people have seen the trailer, <laughs> they're not, they're not going to expect But do you know that, what though. I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a very niche type of film. It's a real period piece. It's a real 
um, drama. It's a dark version mm. of Downton Abbey. What <laughs> what I'd like to add as well is that I've I heard an interview with Domhnall Gleeson. Uh, was it Donal? No, it's Domhnall Gleeson, I'm sure. I've heard interviews with him and he's had to correct people in the way they say his name. So I, I, I'm going to have a look at this. Let's, anyway, let's refer to him as I, Mr. Gleeson. Mr. Gleeson. Gleeson um, Jr. Apparently he was rumoured to play a different character within the film and the other person who ended up playing a different character um, was supposed to be playing Dr. Faraday. Um, I wonder if it was Will Poulter who was supposed mm. to play Dr. Faraday and, 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 and vice versa. And I'd be interested to see what a film like that would have been like actually I think Will Poulter would have looked too immature to pull off Faraday yeah I think he um, might and I right. think he perfectly played um, uh, Roderick I, I think uh, he was well and, suited to Roderick yeah uh, yeah I mean his name is spelt Domnal so if it's a silent M Donal but Mr. Gleeson he's he's, 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 a, he's, a, he's a brilliant actor and I, I, I really enjoyed him in this um, but like you said, yeah, it would be interesting to see them in roles reversed. So I think both of us agree this film is worth it, but don't go in expecting ghosts or no. oozes. From the 1st of October, Starbucks, located within Cineworld, Hemel Hempstead, will be opening its doors from 8am. So if you like a cup of the dark roast as much as I do... Or a croissant. Why not head down to Starbucks, located in Cineworld, Hemel Hempstead? Please drink caffeine responsibly. Welcome back. It is now time for our penultimate review of week 21 of Is It Worth It? The film review podcast where we go out of our way to see all the films, including the bad ones, so you don't have to. Um, and it's time for... Craig doesn't look impressed. It's time for Skate Kitchen. Now, Skate Kitchen is a real coming-of-age drama and one that visually packs a serious punch, let me tell you that. Uh, and the film focuses on Long Islander Camille, who is portrayed by Rachel Vinberg. Uh, following a graphic and gruesome injury, uh, Camille is banned from skateboarding by her strict Mexican mother. Uh, and after discovering a female skateboarding group on Instagram, uh, Camille heads to Manhattan, which is about a, sort of an hour and a half commute for her, to pursue her love for boarding. Whilst here, um, she learns more really uh, in in terms of life lessons than skating ones, uh, and this film deeply explores skating culture from a female perspective, and that's what really makes this film stand out is the fact that it's from a female perspective. And um, we've got a clip here. Have a little listen to it. Do excuse all of the beeping, but there is quite a lot of bad language in it. Your mom took your board. Yeah. Why'd she take your board? Yo, come on. We're gonna get, I'm gonna yeah, get you a board. some mom shit. Really? True, yeah. Yo, why don't you guys have a board? What happened? Why don't you guys have a board? No, I'm sorry. Who's this? Who's this? Why are you <laughs> my Can she just have this one? Her mom was being an asshole. Ah, chill. Don't my Put that back before I make you do it myself. Take your board. All right, bye-bye. Yo! Oh, yo! I got an extra board. <laughs> really? Yeah, hell yeah. What? I got you. For me? Hell yeah. I just want to see you keep on shredding, like, honestly. Yo, no, thank you, Charlie. Hey, here you go. Hey. 
four means love. I was just about to ask. My bad. Oh, you can juggle? Yeah. Oh, Is there a third wheel? I know. I just, I oh, tried. no. Oh. Oh, no. Uh, she's got a hammer at some time. Hey. Hey, Yeah, we just have a freshman. So I think that's a, a good clip, and it sh it sort of shows the the heart and the themes of this of this film, and it also shows the fairly unscripted nature or feel that the film has. It has a very documentary-style uh, feel, a very sort of natural flow to it. This is an interesting film to review, and it's an interesting film to review for a number of reasons, because since doing this podcast, I don't think I've watched a film that I have enjoyed so much visually, yet at the same time struggled with so, so much. What do I mean by that? I mean that Skate Kitchen is a visual masterpiece, um, and I use that word because it really is that. There are some incredibly fantastic um, shots in this film, um, not only of the characters, a very intimate um, experience, but also of New York and skating culture and um, skating culture from a female perspective. But at the same time, it's a film that I found really difficult to watch because I just found it so slow and so repetitive. So yes, it's it's visually very stunning, but we get a lot of the same stuff over and over again in terms of, you know, skating scenes where we see slow motion and, you know, as a visual piece, it's, it's very, very um, enjoyable. But as an overall film, I struggled with it and I wasn't the only one. There wasn't many of us in the screening. Um, me and Craig had a little bit of a laugh because a, a bloke walked out. He then came back and then both of them walked out. Um, and it's a film that is a real niche kind of film. It's very art housey. It's very um, philosophical. It's it's beautiful to watch, but at the same time, very, very difficult. For me, it was too long, way too long. Um, 30 minutes too long. You know, I think 30 minutes of this film could have been cut out. There's a particular sort of 20, 25 minutes quite near the end that I just think is irrelevant and pointless and doesn't need to be in there. Um, and it, like I said, it has a very documentary style feel. And as a short film, I think it would have been far more effective. But having said that, it's so visually stunning that I think it does deserve to be a feature-length film and it does deserve to be in cinemas. Um, and it's a film that, on first viewing, I didn't enjoy. The more I reflect on it, the more I actually think this was an effective piece of cinema, but at the same time, also a flawed one. Mm. So... When I was watching the film, I, I relished everything that was going on in it. I, I really loved the cinematography, the way it was shot. Um, and Crystal Mosel, who is the uh, director of the film, has in her uh, back catalogue a lot of documentary films. Um, so The Wolf Pack was one of them uh, that she directed. Um, and you get a real sense that this 
this feels like you're watching a documentary unfold, but a, a coming of age documentary. And in that sense, it it worked for me like that. I I liked that visual style. I liked the way it unfolded. I liked the I liked the slower pace, but I agree it was too long and it mm. it could have a lot of things could have happened a lot quicker or were somewhat irrelevant and could have been cut to make make the film a bit shorter. But by cutting it, you you get a lot less of what these characters are about. Um, so it was an hour and 46 minutes. Yeah, I mean, and that, that felt long. Mm, it, and it felt like a very long hour and 46. I mean, it's maybe 10, 15 minutes you could have cut out mm. of the film and, and I mean, I, still I, got the same, same feelings about I it. I think there's more than you could have cut out. I think you could have, this could have been an hour, an hour and 10. But then that's not a feature film that wouldn't come into cinema. So it's sort of torn in between. It's It's too long to be a short and it's too... I've got lost. <laughs> well, it's too long to be a short, but it's too long, uh, or, well, too short to be uh, anything else, really. Yeah. 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 So it's, that makes sense. it's sort of stuck in this awkward middle ground where an, an hour and 46 minutes isn't actually that long, but it feels it because it it needs to be shorter. Mm. And it, I, I remember you saying that a lot happens, but nothing really happens. Yeah. But, you know, it's the, you're taken on a journey with these characters, especially Camille, who, um, as I thought was portrayed absolutely brilliantly. I, you know, it, mm. it, there was a script, but the script, it felt like they were improvising a lot of what was going on in the film. And, and you got a lot of the culture mm. of what you really believed that this was the culture that these teenagers were invested in. Mm. You really felt like they were, they weren't acting. This was their life. No, it, it did feel incredibly real. It, it felt almost like a documentary and very intimately as well. The way it was shot, um, a lot of close-ups, and I mean real close-ups, so sort of a claustrophobic feel, a feel that you were almost in with them. And I thought that was effective, but I think we both agreed we'd like to have seen more um, wide shots. Yes, and, so and, and some City, And some yeah. pa panoramic shots or aerial shots. I'd love to have seen some drone work here. You know, for for me, if I was directing it, some of the scenes where they're skating down uh, New York streets, where we're um, alongside them, obviously they're filming on on. I imagine it's a motorbike or or, or some sort of moving vehicle. Mm. I'd love to have seen a drone shot, quite a high drone shot of them weaving in and out of traffic, just to give the perspective of how small they are in this great big city. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, they're they're you know climbing all over buildings every now and then, and yeah. and you get the real. It's the real intimacy between the characters mm. looking down on the streets below. And whilst they are beautiful shots, you do feel like you want to see more of New York. Mm. And, and that, that will almost move the film along a little bit more. And, and therefore, um, you wouldn't be so in the film almost yeah. and experiencing it minute by minute. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think and, that does. Um, and, we, and we also said that uh, Jaden Smith's character, um, he's quite a keen photographer and we see him taking lots of photographs. I think it would have been really effective to have some of those stills yeah. in the film. Either you, you know how films when you often have like that camera sound and then a still will come up and then another camera sound and another still over it. Almost something like that. Or possibly just seeing the stills on Instagram or on another social media platform. Mm. Because there's a one particular moment where he's um, photographing Camille as she does skateboard tricks with the Empire State Building in the background. 
and both of them are getting so excited about how great the photos look and from a from a, an audience perspective it does look like a brilliant photo you know this this young woman doing a skateboard trick right in front of the empire state building on top of another building and you, and you think to yourself i want to see that still i want to see that still and we never do mm. and that that's an example of where i think as an audience, we could have been sucked in a bit more. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jaden's character uh, is shooting on 35mm film, and I would have loved to have seen a scene where he's developing that, and you see the, sh- the, the, the film, you know, appear on the paper and is that where they dip it in the liquid exactly yeah yeah yeah. you know i would have loved to have seen that and and you know them two interacting a bit more and Mm. and 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 looking at those photographs i feel like it it would have been a nice touch to add that Uh, and also not necessarily needed but it, mm. it, it would have been nice and also we do have um a number of different uh emotional pools in terms of relationships and I'd like to have seen that explored earlier in the film and in more depth because the relationship side of things comes in quite late and as soon as it comes in, it's then almost taken away again. Mm, mm. Um, so it's it's a strange film and it, it's, it's a film that's even more of a, a little stranger in the sense that, as we said, The Little Stranger is quite slow and visually impressive, but it's not for everyone. This is a film that really, 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 some people will just be like, that's terrible. It was the most dull thing I've ever seen. But visually, um, it was so impressive. Visually, I thought it was absolutely outstanding. Mm. And I, I, re- I really believe that when uh, they hurt themselves on the skateboard as well, they were genuinely hurting themselves. And there was a horrific scene near the beginning mm. where Camille falls off her skateboard and and uh, uh, ends up bleeding profusely um, and having to go to the hospital. And it it felt real. It it, mm. it felt like this actually happened. She was in serious agony. She was. It, it just it was a brilliant performance and mm. and really well directed and really well shot and but but there were some loose parts of the film that you could have just got rid of and 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 yeah i mean it, it's difficult because i loved it but i also disliked certain elements mm. of it and the they these sort of films are great films to discuss yeah and i think with the next film that we're going to review the rider as well i think there are certain elements of that film where we can compare and contrast and and really see where these films sit in in today's cinema culture, really, and whether or not the, there should be more films like this coming to to cinemas that are uh, show more Hollywood sort of films. Mm. So, um, David, the Skate Kitchen or Skate Kitchen, is it worth it? Um, I'm going to say it is worth seeing um, if you're an unlimited card holder. Um, I think if you're an unlimited card holder, this is a perfect film to go and see because it's visually fantastic if if you're not unlimited and if you're going to you know spend 10 pounds to go and see a film for me probably not because mm. i think there's a good chance you'll come out of it feeling disappointed you'll probably say yeah visually that was very stunning but you know not a lot happened and i feel like i've wasted my money um but overall it, a very interesting film but not everyone's cup of tea mm. uh, and unless you're an unlimited card holder it's not a film that i would recommend going to see in the cinema i feel yeah as an unlimited card holder it's a great film that will expand your your knowledge on film and and really give you a, a different take on how films can be made and and the way different stories can can be shown on the big screen and you know it's that's, that's a it's a great example of that really mm. um yeah i I think it was worth it, 
for for unlimited card holders, yeah, mm. I completely agree with you on that aspect of the film. But I, equally, it maybe it's something you could watch at home as well. I yeah. mean, it's not an action film where you need to have the big screen and 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 the big surround sound elements around you. But saying that, New York City and that intimacy mm. was nice on the big screen. Yeah. So I, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it is a difficult one. And it's, again, like a lot of the f- films this week, it's one that we would love to hear your opinions on it. Did you see it? Did you think it was unbearably boring? Or did you think it was uh, a visual masterpiece that um, is very much needed in the modern film culture? Yeah, so uh, moving on, we're going to take a look at The Rider. Welcome back. It is now time for our last review of week 21, and we're going to be looking at The Rider. Now, the reason we're reviewing this film is because we had a fantastic email from Lisa. Uh, I'm just going to read the first little bit of the email, uh, and then we'll read the full email or the rest of the email at the end of the show. Um, She emailed us saying, Hi, guys. Uh, Just in the midst of listening to your week 19 podcast while I tidy up and thought I'd email you before I get distracted and forget. Just wanted to ask you if you could review The Rider. Uh, If you haven't seen it yet, I'd be interested on your thoughts. I watched this the other day and thought it was a really interesting and incredible film. Well, thanks very much for your email, Lisa. And yes, we shall review it. Uh, So for our listeners, what is The Rider about? Well, The Rider has a very simple premise, but is a deeply layered film. Uh, The story is based around real events, and it's important to know that the actors are basically playing screen versions of themselves. Uh, What the film does is it looks at the life of Brady Blackburn, who lives with his uh, dad, Wayne, and autistic sister Lily in the badlands of South Dakota. After a horrific injury, Brady's career as a rodeo rider comes to an abrupt end. uh, end. Um, This injury, however, affects Brady to the very core of his being, and he must decide whether to start a new life away from horses or quite literally risk it by getting back on them. Um, I'm delighted that Lisa sent us this email as we have now obviously seen the film. Uh, Take a little listen to a clip and then we shall let you know what we thought of it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. Sorry, I was too tight on you there. Just gotta let you trust me. Gotta quit trying to force you. Just trust me, bro. I know you're turning away from your buddies and I know you don't want to do that. What I'm teaching right now is pressure. There's a good boy. See that? It comes off like that. His dad never had no buck. He just would let us get on, but he would always keep an eye on us. Keep going, bud. Wow, that's amazing. A horse that never had nobody on his back before. So in that clip, uh, we have quite a sort of intimate 
look at our protagonist, Brady, and uh, quite a beautiful encounter with one of the horses that he's training. Um, and to kick off, and what did I think of this film? I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I was blown away, really, by the performance of um, Brady uh, Jundre, um, who plays basically plays himself. Um, just in the quality of the performance for someone who is an untrained, you know, completely untrained as an actor, um, I thought he was engaging and, you know, I just really like this film. It, it, it's a difficult watch at times um, because, you know, rodeo riding is something that is very American. It's not something we have over here. It's quite controversial in terms of animal rights. How, mm. You know, is it is it fair on the horses, etc.? So it can be difficult to watch at times because you contrast those beautiful scenes where he's training the horses and showing them so much love and care and attention to the next minute you see a horse, you know, bucking and kicking its legs in the air and, you know, getting a couple of sharp reminders around the backside with the shillelagh. And you think, well... <laughs> It's so contrasting, you know, someone who's so, so much love for these animals yet is also involved in a sport that many would argue is cruel. Um, but but that's 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 good, you know. I like films like that. I like films that aren't afraid to show things for what they really are. And this does show you everything about the rodeo world, how dangerous it is. And, you know, um, Craig knows and other people know me, I, I love horses, I love my horse racing, and that's a dangerous sport. But once you're on the back of a horse that is designed and trained <laughs> to throw you off, you know, a, a horse hoof to the head, more times than not will kill you. Um, and we get a great emotional pull in this film with uh, another one of our actors, I believe it's Lane Scott, who um, plays himself. He's heavily disabled um, in a wheelchair, having suffered a, a horrific rodeo accident. Uh, accident, um, And that's where I think the emotional pull comes in. So we see this, this man who's in a wheelchair, in a home, because of rodeo riding. And what's the one thing he wants to do? He wants to watch videos of him as a rodeo rider. He wants Brady to get him out of the comfort of his bed and chair and onto a, a horse saddle and pretend that they're riding again. And wow, what what an amazing thing that is to see. Someone who is disabled, whose life has been completely changed, but yet still has that love for horse riding. Mm. And that's and that's where this film hits us because Brady knows he's ha he's had a fractured skull. Doctors have said, look, you have another head injury. You're, you're either going to be heavily disabled or more likely dead. And for most people, they would think I'm not going near horses. I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to wrap myself in cotton wool for the rest of my life. And you can see the pain in his face as he has to get a job in a, a sort of lo local supermarket. And all he wants to do is get on horses. And we see, his very identity as a man, his very identity as a cowboy, his very identity as a human being questioned. You know, without horses, what is he? Um, I thought it was an incredible film, really. Um, brilliantly directed, brilliantly uh, acted, visually very satisfying. Uh, again, the pace isn't uh, quick. It's, it's quite slow, and for some people it might be quite heavy going. Um, but as a horse lover myself, I'm delighted that we got this email. I'm delighted we took the time out to watch this film. I don't know what your thoughts were, Greg. 
Well, I mean, you pretty much said everything for me there. I mean, it's... it's, it's <laughs> Sorry, it, mate. <laughs> no, but it's, but it's, it's good. It's good. Um, it, you know, it's, it is an incredible film. It is brilliantly shot. The fact that the director <laughs> has used the uh you know the 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 real life versions of these people um and they're playing fictionalized characters um of themselves essentially um i think was just a very unique very brilliant uh way of of making a film and then uh and then pairing that with with some fantastic cinematography uh and some real intimate shots as well um and and some real uh beautiful uh you know relationships between man and horse mm. i think um you know the training aspect of it and and trying to break a horse in and 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 you know people had given up on some of these horses where brady will not give up and he will he give he has given his life to these these mm. horses and for somebody to have sustained an injury such as this and going forward cannot or should not be doing this mm. anymore is really heart-wrenching to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been told that, you know, his hand um, clasps up because he's having these like uh, mini, um, is it almost like a stroke, isn't it? Or, or um, a, a seizure? <laughs> not a stroke. No, it's, uh, it's a seizure, Yeah, isn't it's it? like a, a seizure. Yeah, his hand is, it's, it's, it's because of the brain injury. His, his um, central nervous system isn't working correctly no so he he ends up every now and then having these seizures where his hand is <laughs> Sorry, completely mate, thought... locked completely <laughs> locked up and um and he's unable to 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 move his hand and do things that he needs to do to to, to carry on training these horses and it's at this moment that he you know he he keeps pushing himself forward and and then he ends up having quite a serious seizure and and if he doesn't stop now this could be the end but it's then his interactions, as you say, with Lane Scott, that then you realise that, you know, I, I am able to move. I can walk still. I can still do a lot of the things that I want to do. Do I give up on my dreams? And I think it's a it's, for, for, for that reason, it's just so beautiful. And, and, and the fact that he's actually doing this film mm. says a lot because... I mean, it, they are fictionalised. So obviously that he, he is perfectly capable of carrying on and and living out his dream of doing what he's doing and the fact that they they're, they're now filming it means that he, yeah he must be fine then but it's almost like posing the question what if he isn't able to recover and this mm. is his story and yeah just wow what mm. what a fantastic brilliant should be award-winning film and i'm sure it has won awards i mean it's mm. been out since 2017 um it's been pre uh, screened at a lot of uh, film festivals um we were I'm, I'm i'm unsure as to why it's now coming out in the cinemas now i think perhaps it wasn't picked up by distributors and it's only just started to to see uh life in in the cinema but it is only uh, on limited release um, and uh, we barely managed to catch this film. Mm. Uh, I'm very, very pleased that we did. And mm. uh, Lisa, thank you for emailing us in and, and giving us that extra push to make us go and see it um, because we would have missed it. We very nearly missed it. Um, uh, if you do want to catch this film, have a look on Amazon. It might be coming out on, on DVD fairly soon yeah. um, because of the it, limited release. Once it's out on DVD, I can guarantee you it will be recommended in our DVD, DVD section. Um, it certainly still is playing in some Curzon cinemas as well in London. I, I had a look at that. Um, so if you really want to go and see it, venture into London and, 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 and have a watch. <coughs> um, definitely worth it. Um, for you, is it worth it as well? Yeah, for me, this this film is definitely worth uh, seeing, uh, and 
you know, before we finish, just a big shout out to to Lane Scott. Uh, I think incredible bravery to come on screen and show the, the the horrific injury that he's had, and also he clearly his his love that he still has for horses and horse riding, and it was just a very emotional film. And you know, for for untrained. Um, actors to give performances like this was incredible. You know, the 1517 to Paris, we had those three heroes that disarmed the terrorists and Clint Eastwood gave them the opportunity to act as themselves and it didn't really work because they're not trained actors. But this did work. Um, thank you for your email, Lisa. Definitely worth seeing. The Rider, well worth it. DVD, DVD. Is it worth it? DVDs. Yes, it's that time of the show where we recommend DVDs that are coming out uh, in this month or in the next week or so. Uh, And coming out on Monday, the 8th of October, we have two films that we'd like to recommend. And that is Hereditary and Book Club. Uh, Which one of those would you recommend over... Uh, For me, both very good films, both very different films. Mm. Uh, But for me, we've just spoke about it, uh, or we will speak about it in one of our emails, Um, Hereditary. Uh, I think it's a fantastic film. I think it's still got a chance of an Oscar nomination for Best Picture as well. I think if you are going to be spending the evening in uh, wanting to relax, I think Book Club is the perfect film to get on DVD or digital download or Blu-ray. I mean, even Hereditary, you can get on DVD, Blu-ray, iTunes, all (laughs) places. Every week you do this. People don't, people do realise that DVD, DVD doesn't just include DVD, DVD. Like it's, 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 it's basically something that is out that's not in the cinema anymore. We need to think of a new, a a new, easier title. Things that are coming out. We've been through this. New releases. DVD is, ca- is catchier. New releases, new releases. It <laughs> doesn't quite work, does it? We, we, uh, well, we might give it a go. But that's that's our two recommend re- recommendations. Hereditary and Book Club, both out on DVD and Blue Book. And Blu-ray. <laughs> Blue Book. Oh, I'm, I give and it's up. now out on a, in a novel form. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Can read Heredi- the Heredi- Hereditary, the book. Um, can you imagine? It wouldn't oh, really it'd work. Be a pop-up it? book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, Hereditary Book Club out Monday the 8th of October. Go and buy them. <laughs> DVD, DVD. Is it worth it? DVDs. Thank you very much for listening to week 21 of the film review podcast, Is It Worth It? Um, I'd just like to pick up the rest of Lisa's email. Um, So she says, by the way, I'm a big horror film fan. I watched Hereditary and thought it it was very disappointing. From the trailer, I thought it was going to be very scary, but it wasn't, and thought the trailer was misleading. Then I watched a YouTube video of the breakdown of the film, uh, which depicts the meanings behind all the symbolism in the film, and that utterly freaked me out. I still think it wasn't the best made film, but overall, A Quiet Place wins hands down. I love that they had a deaf actor in the film, which is rare. It's not only a great horror film, but the fact that the entire audience was pin drop quiet throughout the whole screening was amazing. No mobile phone scrolling, no talking and no rustling of food packets. And by the way, I would definitely ask people to move out of my boot seat (laughs) at the cinema. I go to the cinema a lot and I am very particular about where I sit for the best view. If it ends up 
with the whole row standing up, perhaps they would think twice about doing it again. Cheers, Lisa. Uh, that, that's a really fantastic email. And uh, thank you for listening to week 19. And I hope you've uh, picked up on week 20, Lisa. Um, but you're certainly going to be getting uh, two cinema tickets to go to uh, any Cineworld in the UK um, for that email. I... I'd like to pick up on the point where she talks about people sitting in their seats. Now, uh, on week, I think it was week 19 that we discussed just how annoying mm. that is. And actually, since that episode, we haven't actually encountered many problems like that since. But, oh boy, I hate it when people it, sit it, in my it, seats. It is frustrating. You know, everyone wants to be mid... Well, I, I, I do. I want to be middle of the cinema, um, sort of fairly near the back in the centre. Um, and I mean, what's the point of having a booking system if you then just go and sit where you want? Mm. Uh, but we won't rant about that anymore. But yeah, um, brilliant email. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that Lisa was disappointed with Hereditary. Um, the ending was somewhat bizarre, um, but I totally agree with what she says about a quiet place and particularly where she talks about the 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 the, the cinema screening being so quiet you could hear a pin drop. It was exactly the same when we went to see it. You know, there was no rustling. Everyone was dead quiet and just so hooked by this film because it was brilliant. Um, and like you said, a couple of free tickets for Lisa. And as always, we love hearing from you. So thanks very much. Indeed. Uh, to get in touch with us, uh, we've said it throughout the show, but you can email us on uh, the email address, which is mymailisworthit at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook and on Instagram. Just search is it worth it the film review podcast i'm sure we'll be at the top of that search results uh, so coming up on week 22 our listings haven't been confirmed yet but we are definitely bringing you our review of venom uh of johnny english uh and night school is it that's it yes so they're three films that we'll definitely be bringing you it's been a little longer than usual this week the show but we hope you enjoyed it you know some fantastic films in there a star is born and uh, the brilliant acting in the wife and also some some stunning visual films in skate kitchen and also the rider um it's been a privilege spending the last few hours with you mr fields um likewise david <laughs> and also i just thought i'd say before before we finish the show if if you have seen our posters down at cineworld <laughs> there's one person who has a very bald head and a beard that's me and then the other person who has a lovely head of hair and a beard well now craig has taken the leap of faith having had a receding hairline he has also gone bald with me he has bicked it, and I think it looks superb. So for our new posters, when they are, are, are out, perhaps there will be two boiled eggs as opposed to one. I, I've somehow managed to grow the moustache back now. I now have a handlebar moustache. The curled moustache. It's back, um, and a balding head, and I am... I think it's the stress of working with me on this podcast. Well, since starting the podcast, my <laughs> hair has just <laughs> rapidly <laughs> decreased in, in you know, fullness and, and, volume. and, and volume and... Oh, I miss the days of using VO5 in my hair. Yes, alas, poor.